love to be here with you whenever I can. My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors um, here at Alpine Church. And we're doing this series called The Pursuit. We're talking about what does it mean to be a pursuer of God? What does it mean to help somebody else pursue God? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So what does it mean to make disciples and teach them how to follow Jesus, how to be really a fully devoted follower of Jesus? That's what we're doing this series for, to help you if you're new or newer in your faith or you're just still exploring whether faith is an option for you. We're doing this series to help you understand what the pathway that lies ahead might look like. And if you're, you've been a Christian for a while, but you're open to the idea of helping somebody else pursue God and pouring into their life and helping them grow in that. We want you to understand these are the basic things that as you master these basic concepts, as you pay attention and, 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 and take good notes and really uh, and absorb these things in yourself, then you'll know you'll have great confidence in being able to share that with somebody else as well. So let's pray together as we, we begin our fourth topic in the pursuit. Father, thank you so much for your kindness the good things that you're doing here in Brigham City as we see uh, the, the reach of the gospel in this town being extended just one day at a time, one life, one conversation at a time. Thank you, Father, for always providing the places where we can gather to worship you and equip your people to have an impact in the community, whether it was in, that, in the park the first time we met or in the Fine Arts Center here in this building, now in the, in the building uh, over in town, we pray, Father God, that you'd continue to be a light and you'd use us to be a light in this place where people need Jesus. We pray today as we look into the pursuit, what it means to follow you, we pray that you give us insight and discernment, help us to hear from, you, from your spirit, to grasp what you're trying to say to us in your word. We pray that you would shape our hearts and our attitudes and our behavior as a result of listening to you and being in your presence today. We pray it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen. Amen. And so in the pursuit so far, just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been able to be here every week, we've talked about, first of all, how God is pursuing us. The pursuit really begins with God, and he's pursuing us. He wants a relationship with you, and so he's working in your life. Sometimes the things that you didn't understand or, or you don't know why they happened, they're, they're God working in your life to draw you toward himself because he loves us, he wants relationship with us, that's what we're created for. And then we saw that God has revealed himself in his word. He's revealed himself, made his, himself known to us in written form that we can all open and read for ourselves in the Bible. And we saw some reasons why we can trust the Bible and why we can have confidence uh, to put our faith in, in what it says to be right with God and to live our lives and for what we believe. And God's been good to give us that as well. And then last week we saw how all human beings are made in the image of God. This is a really an important starting point to understand who we are 
in, in, in God's created order, that we have dignity and worth and value, not because of what we do or what we accomplish for him, but because he made us in his image. And it changes how we look at ourselves, and it changes how we look at other people around us, whether they're followers of Christ or not. <clears throat> but now today, we come to... A, all the topics are really important. This is really crucial, though, because all the things I just said about having a relationship with God and his love and desire to, there, there's an obstacle that stands in the way. There's a really big obstacle that stands in the way. If we want to pursue God, we have to understand what is the nature of the human problem? What is the nature of the human dilemma that is addressed by what God has done for us. What does God say is the issue that we need to face if we want to pursue him? Now, every culture, every uh, philosophy has a different answer to what the nature of the human problem is. In, Asi in Asian religions, the problem is identified as a, uh, is illusion, that everything we see around us is not really real, and it clouds us from understanding that, that we really are one with the divine ultimate essence. That's the nature of the problem in that perspective, in that worldview. It's illusion. Many, in many secular philosophies, the, the nature of human, humanity's problem is that people just don't know enough. They need education. If they had more education and more understanding, then they would be able to solve, to tackle the problems that plague humanity. But the Bible diagnoses the greatest problem in human existence pretty differently than any other source in, in human thinking. The Bible diagnoses our greatest problem as human beings to be sin. Um, and that, that's a word that's often misunderstood. It's not a commonly word, uh, used word in, except in, you know, in certain settings, in religious settings, or, or it's used in a kind of an offhand way, in kind of a casual way. You know, it's not necessarily taken very seriously in our society. So Las Vegas, called Sin City, you know, been to Sin City, yeah, you know, that's a title that doesn't imply shame right? It's a title that says, oh, hey, we're a great fun place to be, right? Come spend your money here. Um, you never hear people in our culture say, oh, I, I really sinned. I've sinned, except in Catholic confession, when you see that on TV or whatever, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. But, mo you know, people don't say that word. They say, oh, no, I messed up, or I made a mistake, or, you know, whatever it might be. But there's a lot of misconceptions then about what this idea of sin is. And one of the misconceptions that we see is that sin is what other people do. Not what I do, but what somebody did to me, right? Another misconception is that, like, look, I may do some wrong things. I may make some mistakes in life, but I'm not a sinner, right? I'm basically a good person. But here's why I bring this up, because... God has gone to incredible lengths at great sacrifice to himself to provide the answer, the solution to humanity's need. God in his love for us has, has done amazing things to reconcile us to him again and so we can live with him in this life and forever. But you know what? <clears throat> We're not going to recognize the solution. We're not going to value what God has done. We're not going to see the point of it unless we understand what the problem really is. Okay, it's like, let's say you're not feeling very good, you know, and you just know something's wrong, you're not quite sure what it is, but you're just feeling it in your body, you know, so you, you go to the doctor. 
right? And so you're trusting the doctor to give you a diagnosis. What if the doctor diagnoses it wrong? Now, that's never happened, has it, right? Of course. What if the doctor says, oh, no, there's nothing wrong. Don't worry about it. You know, that might make you feel better in a mo- for a moment to feel a little bit of peace and like, okay, you know, but that's not going to help you in the, ro- in the long run. In fact, it could actually be deadly for you. I was just reading a story uh, recently about a guy here in Utah in Salt Lake City who went to the doctor and his complaint was he had this chest pain that had spread to his whole abdomen. And so his abdomen is like, he was just painful inside his whole gut and everything like that. He was diagnosed as having constipation and they sent him home probably with a, with a pill or something like that. A few days later, he died of an aortic dissection. That's when the, the, the main artery from your heart you know, splits open. So the, the pain, it was caused by all this blood that had, that had spilled in, and, and they sent him home with constipation. See, that, what I'm saying is if we don't diagnose the problem correctly, then we're never going to understand, we're never going to appreciate the solution. Okay, the problem is sin. So let's make sure we understand what that word means. The way we define it from the Bible is that sin is going your own way, trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings instead of on God's truth. Now, last week in Genesis chapter 1, we saw that God created human beings, and the end of the day when he created human beings, he said it was very good. The pinnacle of his creation, he said, man, this is great. This turned out so awesome. It was very good. And so what that means is that we weren't created sinful, This is not the natural human condition was not sin. Sin is an invasion. It's an aberration. It's a cancer that has infected the human race. Let's read about how that happened. In Genesis chapter 3, human beings are created in chapter 1. Now in chapter 3, in chapter 2, they're put in the garden and given everything, uh, a purpose in life. And then in chapter 3, trouble begins. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. So God gave human beings a choice. He gave us the capacity to choose, and he gave them a lot of great choices. The whole abundance of the whole garden they could have, they could experience all of it with one prohibition. He said, there's this tree, the tree of the um, knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't, don't eat that fruit. He said, if you eat it, you're, you're going to die. And so Satan comes along in the form of this, of this serpent and tries to get them to go against what God had said. And so even, by the way... Um, it mentions the woman here, but you know, the man was here too. We see him in verse six. And so it wasn't just Eve. We can't just blame it all on her. They were both involved in this together, right? And so Adam was just as, as culpable, maybe more so because he didn't speak up and, and defend her and, and, and say anything. But anyway, he was involved too. But in, initially Eve responds by refuting Satan's temptation. She says, no, God said, you, if you don't, don't eat that, and, and there's consequences. Well, here's how, here's how the serpent replied. He said, you won't die, he said to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. So the serpent's response was, you know what? God lied to you. He basically said, God didn't tell you the truth. There's no consequences. You're not, you're not going to die. Just go ahead and disobey whatever God said. And not only are there no consequences, but you're going to get a lot of benefits from that that you really, really want. So he's twisting God's word, and he makes God look stingy and controlling and unreasonable. Because his goal was to get them to act on their own opinions and feelings instead of to act on what God said, to go their own way instead of God's way. And that's what they did. She saw the tree was desirable. She wanted what, what Satan said were the benefits of disobeying God. So listening to the wrong voice, they trusted their own conclusions instead of what God said. That's the essence of sin. That's how it enters the world. And that's really, it boils down to that every single time. When you and I go against what God said and we trust what we think instead of him. Let me give you a human example as an illustration. If you're a parent, like I am, then at some point as a parent, you have set loving limits for your kids, whether they're just little and you'd, and you'd like, you know, put a baby gate up or you, or you say you can't go outside without a parent or whether they're older, like teenagers, like I told my daughter, said you can't go to that party, you know, you have to stay at your friend's house all night long. You've set loving limits for your kids and they have acted on their own opinions on their own feelings, instead of listening to your advice or keeping the boundaries that you set for them, and you've observed at different times that they paid a price for that. And sometimes a heavy price, sometimes a sorrowful thing, sometimes a little thing, but sometimes a heavy thing. Or maybe it, in your story, you're thinking about the times that you did that to your parents, right? And, and you thought you knew better, and you ended up learning a bitter lesson as a result. Well, in the same way, we're all guilty of going against what God says, of choosing our own way at different points and different issues in our lives, maybe big, maybe small. Now, as a parent, I admit, I'm not all, I haven't always been right. I haven't been always, always known everything that I need to know. God is always right. God's ways are always correct and always best, even if they go against our ideas and our desires. So that's ultimately the, the, es the essence of sin. When we choose our way, go what we think, what we feel, instead of what God says, right? Now, the problem is, with that, is that sin has consequences. It had consequences for Adam and Eve. It has consequences for us. Okay, so the second thing you need to understand about this topic is that sin brings brokenness in every way. It keeps us from experiencing the fullness of life that God wants for us. Now, I don't know, I look around, look around the world, I don't know how people look at what happens in our world and on our lives and then, and then can still deny the reality of human sin. This seems to me to be, to, in my view, this is the biblical principle that is the most obvious from life, that life really backs this up, I think. And it's not just evil governments, it's not just unjust economic systems or whatever, but because human systems are made of people, and, they, and people bring their choices and their attitudes into those systems. 
And so it's not just those people. It's not just impersonal. It's not just those really, really bad guys, Jeffrey Dahmers and Adolf Hitlers of the world. There's brokenness in every one of us. It's going to look different in you than me and, and in that guy down the street. But there's a brokenness in every one of us. And that's why God sets these boundaries. See, God created the world to work in a certain way. He made the world in Genesis chapter 2 as a beautiful place full of abundance and richness. And, and the human, our first human parents had purpose there. And they, they were discovering what God had called them for and created them to do before sin stepped in. The world that God made is his loving gift to us. But when we step outside of the path, outside of the way he made it to work, then we're, then we're inevitably, inevitably going to bring harm upon ourselves and upon others. And Satan's still at work today trying to rob us of the blessed life that God created us for. So Jesus put it like this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Satan comes like a thief. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to, to steal what God has promised you and given you. He succeeded with Adam and Eve. The consequences that they faced, they had to leave the garden. They had to leave this beautiful place. If you read the rest of Genesis chapter 3, you see that a curse fell upon the whole, uh, the whole world because of their rebellion against God. And in fact, humanity was plunged into darkness because of them. Now, last week we saw that our purpose for life, to love God and to love other people. And, and when you look at human reality, it seems like just the opposite of that. Those are two things that seem to be very lacking in our world today. It's kind of like this, how this verse describes it in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is talking about the, the results of human sin. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty long list, but as you know, it's not exhaustive. We could think of other things that you could add. Just read the, read the paper, read the news every day. But it does give us a very vivid picture of the scope of sin, of the sort of things that are outside of God's best design for us. This is what comes naturally to the human heart and to human life ever since humanity fell away from our relationship with God. This is not who we were created to be, but it's who we have become. Now, of course, not everyone does all of these things or does all of them in the same measure. But I believe that you'll probably find at least one thing or more things up there that have your name on them, as I do. Now, it's easy to deceive ourselves, look at other people who are, quote, worse than us. It's not hard to find somebody who, if you're, depending on how we measure, of course, we always measure ourselves favorably, right? We always think the best of ourselves and the worst of other people. We're always going to win that comparison, right? Partly because we can't see into people's hearts and we don't know their whole lives. But, but really, that's not the issue. The issue really is what does God say about us? What does God say about us as human beings? And if we're really honest with ourselves, what is it that we have to admit? If we look in the mirror, that we have to admit. Again, you don't have to look very hard to see it all around us. Right? 53 people left to die in a truck in Texas. 
um, a, a mass shooting every few days. I mean, just even our own personal lives. I have a good friend who was cheated of his inheritance after his mom died by another family member who moved in and manipulated outside the law so that, <clears throat> so that he didn't get, have anything left. Even after a lengthy lawsuit, he was left broken and, and um, just completely ripped off by a family member. It reminded me of how my wife Sally here was, she was taken to court. It never got into court, but she was taken into a court suit a few years ago because someone forged her signature on a legal document. And then there, later there was a fraud relating to that transaction, and her name was on, uh, was on the document, so she got pulled in. You can think of all kinds of proofs of the reality and the, and the, and the consequences of sin in our lives and how it robs us of what God's best for our lives is. And what would it be like if those behaviors and attitudes up on the screen there did not exist? What would life be like? What would your life be like? Would your life be better if the people around you didn't act that way? Would your life be better if you didn't act that way? Romans chapter 1, verse 30, adds another wrinkle to it. He says, they're backstabbers, haters of God, talking about humanity as a whole, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. So the point here is just more things on the list. That's not quite what it's about. The point here is that it's not just our actions that are tainted by sin, but there's attitudes as well, insolence, arrogance, animosity toward God. Sin works deeply in our heart. It works in our words and our actions, but that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. It infects our motives, our attitudes, our thoughts, all the way down into the very soul of who we are. That's why, you know what? That's why being right with God, never going to be about che- keeping a checklist. It's never like, okay, I got the list. If I just fulfill all the things on the list, I'm good. Why? First of all, because sin is deeply rooted within at a much deeper level than you can just mark on a list. But secondly, because as it points out here, we'll just invent new ways of sinning. That maybe they don't violate the checklist, but they violate the heart of God. So what I'm saying here in this point is that sin introduces brokenness and depravity into our existence as human beings. It stains our life. It infects every aspect of who we are. And it has bitter consequences in this life, and in eternity as well. This is what we have to come to grips with to really understand the solution that God has made for us. Now, one more dimension of human sin to think about. I'm not going to get to the solution today. You've got to come back next week and the following week um, to hear the good news, right? <clears throat> one more thing I need to, to point out here, and that is that we're all born into sin, and therefore we must be born again. I heard somebody say once that every human being is like the moon. We all have a dark side that nobody sees. Is that true? I mean, who doesn't have something that's hidden within that others don't know about? What is it in your heart, in your character, in your actions that you would be absolutely horrified if somebody found it out? Most of us have something like that, that dark side. That's who we are. Not by creation, but by this, this fallenness. Now, the Bible's perspective is then that we're not born with a blank slate. We're not born with like in a neutral position. 
we're actually born with a sin problem. Again, God didn't make us that way, but it's like a genetic defect that crept into the spiritual genome of the human race, and it keeps getting passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, and we're all affected. Now, during the pandemic, when it was on at its height, you know, a lot of us watched a lot of streaming stuff on TV, right? So Sally and I watched this movie called Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. Did you see it? It came out in 2019. It was about how the DuPont chemical company was dumping toxic waste, poisonous waste, into the water supply of this small town in West Virginia. And it's a story about how, you know, that, that somebody was heroic enough to tackle it and so forth. But people were getting sick. People were dying. They couldn't explain why until they realized, oh, somebody's secretly dumping this known toxin into our water supply. And I thought to myself, that is such a great picture of sin. Because to understand our relationship with Adam and Eve, it's like something deadly was dumped into the headwaters of the human race. And every one of us who is downstream from Adam and Eve is poisoned by it. Romans chapter 3 puts it like this. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. That's a pretty stark picture of human reality. He says, no, nobody. He doesn't say some are more righteous than others. He doesn't say some get an A. Mother Teresa gets an A. Some, gets a. some get a C. Some get an F. Now, it's true that some are outwardly more ethical and more moral than other people. We're not all in prison. But from God's perspective, from this, this perspective of eternity, it's more like some of us get an F plus, some of us get an F minus. But the fact is that not a single human being measures up to God's perfection or keeps all of his law in every regard. And so this refers to what theologians call original sin. What we mean by that is we don't just sin, but we are sinners. That we're sinners by birth, we come out of the womb that way. We're also sinners by choice. Those two things work together against us. And I think one of the biggest evidences of it, I've seen this in my life is that I have had, I told you I'm a parent, I've had kids. Did, let me ask you this. Did you have to teach your kids to defy you? Did you have to teach your toddler to hit another kid? Here, here son, this is how you do it, you know. Did you have to teach them to like take stuff away from other kids or, or you know, to get angry or whatever? No, that, that seemed to just come naturally to them. That seems to be programmed into the software of the human child and the human adult. We just get better at hiding it, right? We become more socially adept. But if you've, if you've been a parent, you know how much effort it takes to train your kids to be kind, to obey their parents, to share with other kids. You're, and when you train them, you're working on it all the time and you're just like rowing upstream. What comes naturally to them is not that. Now, it may not sound fair to say that we're born in sin because of what Adam and Eve did long ago. We weren't there. It wasn't our... What did we do? Well, I, I like to think of it like a baby born to a crack-addicted mother. 
That baby's affected by the choices that somebody else made. Not fair, but real. And likewise, our lives are affected by the choices that our first parents made. We're affected spiritually by that. But before we worry too much about what's fair, we all have to agree that, look, regardless of whatever we inherited from them spiritually, we've, all, we've, chosen, to, we've chosen to sin ourselves anyway. We've chosen to go against God and to prefer our own opinions and our own feelings ahead of what God said. And so one way or another, we have to admit that we are personally responsible as well. And so we have this problem with God. We're born into sin, but we also participate in sin willingly. So Romans chapter 3 says we need help. For everyone, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Our sin puts us far away from God. We've all fallen far short of his perfection. We don't measure up. It's like this, someone shared this illustration with me. It says like we're at the bottom of a cliff and there's God's at the top of the cliff. We're all at the bottom of the cliff. And, And on our way down, we we got broken and broken legs and broken arms and we've been hurt and we can't climb the scale of the cliff on our own anymore. We can't get back to God on our own. Now here's the thing. Some people are close to the cliff. Some people are miles and miles and miles away from the cliff. But no matter how we compare ourselves to other people, we're still at the bottom of the cliff. And it still, it takes an act of God. It takes something that only God can do to change that scenario where we're far from him and far short of his presence and his standard. So what that means, if you really understand what the Bible says about sin and how God defines the human condition, that completely dooms any effort that we could make to get right with God by our own worthiness. Can't happen. Can't happen because we're bankrupt spiritually. We have nothing to offer to God that isn't tainted by the smell of sin. Even our best deeds, even the most moral things we do, they still might be tainted by a sinful motive or whatever it might be lurking in the heart. So we really have nothing to offer to God that God's going to go, okay, oh, you made it. Glad to see you. That's why we have to be born again. We have to be born in a new way, into a new reality. Jesus said it, John 3, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We've been born into a sinful condition. We need to be born again into a new condition to become new creations, not just an overhaul of our life, not just a remodel of our life, but a complete rebuild. And again, it's something that only God can do. We can't do it, and we're going to explore in depth over the next two weeks how that happens. So, oops, I don't, I don't need the pads. I'll just go back one. Um, here's what I want you to understand today. So far in our series, we've been really positive. We said God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. God's revealed himself to us, that you're made in the image of God. You have value. You have dignity. That's all that is good news. All that's, that, that's the original conditions. But we have to confront this hard truth today. That this is also, this is the flip side of the coin. 
that you and I have a serious problem that stands in the way of the future and of the destiny that God created you for. It's the single greatest obstacle to God's blessing and God's presence in your life. We cannot get the cure until we admit that we have the disease. The disease is sin. It's our deeply rooted inclination in every one of us to disregard God, to leave him out, to go our own way instead of his, to blow off his boundaries, to rule our own lives, to make our own decisions apart from him, to think that we know better than God. And it's expressed in all many, many different ways. Some which our society says are okay. Some which seem innocuous or harmless. Others that that are grievous in a deep, deep way. But all of them, whether it's our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our motives, all of them put us at odds with our creator who loves us. So here's the big takeaway today. The one thing that I want you to think about and grapple with. Each one of us, in order to pursue God, We have to come to grips with this hard truth. We have to own this hard truth. There's no way ultimately to pursue God on his terms unless we own this. If we're denying the nature of human human reality, we have to accept it. We have to admit it. We have to believe it that this is true about the human race. This is true about humanity and this is true about me. It's true about me. Now we're going to have communion in a minute. Pastor Mike's going to come up and lead us through that. Just one thought I want to leave you as we go into that. There's one person, one person only who's never tainted by sin. That's Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect sinless life in complete love for the Father and perfect love for his neighbor, for others around. And that's why he is qualified to be the solution for our sin. We're going to talk about that more next week, about how he is the solution, how the solution is a person, not a program, not a list. It's a person. And as we take communion today, we're going to celebrate that together. But communion is an awesome time to think and meditate. It's a great time to own the weight and the seriousness of the human condition of our condition apart from Christ so that we fully appreciate the amazing things that God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for telling us the truth. God, you're like a good doctor. You're giving us a diagnosis. You're not blowing smoke. You're not, you know, just trying to um, soften the blow for us because you know we need the solution. So I thank you today, Father, that your word is honest with us. Our culture, our society doesn't like to talk about this. We don't like to look in the mirror. We like to think that we're just, oh, we're okay. I'm okay. I'm a good person. But Father, we just, we need your analysis. We need your diagnosis because we need your solution. And we can all, when we stop and think about it, we all realize, oh, whenever I've gone against God, stepped outside of his way it's brought consequences into my life and so Father we need you to make us right we need you, we need what only you can do to bring us into your presence to heal the hurts of our sin to to change us from the inside out 
so that more and more we're able to live by what you've said rather than our own feelings and thoughts. We need you to do that in us today. We pray it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen.